Uh, I want to thank uh, Jerry and John for doing the last couple of weeks. I was uh, gone on a, on a vacation slash speak, speaking engagement. I got to speak at a camp in Canada. Get this. I used to live in Canada. Some of you don't know that. Uh, New Brunswick, Canada. But I got to speak at a camp there uh, that I went to as a camper in fourth grade. Uh, it was deja vu all over again, everywhere. And uh, got to see a lot of old family friends. Actually got to say hi to some cousins that I hadn't seen in a long time. And uh, in between, or kind of sandwiched around that, Alan and I took advantage of this uh, trip to, to kind of do the northeast of the United States. We, we landed in Baltimore, wanted to do D.C. And, and Baltimore area, and then we went to Philly and New York, never been there. It's crowded. And, uh, and then went up to Boston. I went to my other church, Fenway Park, and I got to see my team actually win a game this year. It was amazing. Uh, that has not been a normal occurrence. And, uh, and then just spent some time just, you know, uh, seeing lots of things. Went to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Chocolate. Come on, Right. Uh, and just had a great time. But uh, the first part of our vacation was bliss. We didn't take any kids. Oh, wow, that is great. I mean, I love my children, but that is just such an easier vacation. It was just two of you. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? There's only two people to ask. It's great. So we had this, this, this phenomenal time. Uh, but the, the, the Monday, the second week that we were, you know, uh, on this trip, I, I, I got to say hi to one of my first cousins. Her name is Candace. And, uh, uh, Candace came, and, and, and as soon as she got to where we were staying at this camp, she just started running back and forth to the, to the facility. She was, she was not feeling well. And so she says, I don't know what I got, but I got a bug. And so she, she told us, don't hug me or anything like that. But I, here, here's the deal. I don't get sick. I'm, is anybody else like me like that? Like, I just don't get sick. It just doesn't happen. So I'm like, ah, I'm impervious to all flu bugs. Give me a hug. And I gave her this big old hug. Bad move. Because <laughs> 24 hours later, it hit me. In a long drive, one of the longest drives from where we were in eastern Canada, heading back to Baltimore where we were going to fly home, uh, I started getting really, really sick. Like things happen in this body that have not happened before. You know what I'm talking about? Not going to go into detail, but it wasn't right. And uh, the, the vacation, I mean, you, you want to get sick like on Monday so you can miss work and you know and all that. But, but I got sick on my vacation. And so, yeah, thank you. That one sympathetic person, I appreciate that. So I'm driving through the beauty of, 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 of the coast of Maine, but I can't even raise my head because I'm just laying there. And I get to the hotel, I sleep for five hours in the middle of the day, wake up for an hour, go back to bed again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was just miserable. Yeah, poor Eleanor's right. That's one of our elders who's going to be fired. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 was a t- it was a tough few days. We, got, we finally got back to Baltimore. My, my son Cooper was meeting us in Baltimore. He was going to spend some time there at a national convention that he was interested in. So we spent uh, four days in Baltimore in this time. And uh, we had great experience. I, I do Priceline uh, hotels the day of, like the best deals, just so you know. Don't, don't schedule ahead. Just roll the dice. It's fun. Uh, but I, I had scheduled this one hotel months in advance because I knew that we were going to be there. Conventions were in town. I didn't want to not be there or not have a hotel room. So I, I, I try to get like three-and-a-half-star hotels, if you ever got a hotel. And, and, and usually it works out fine. This one did not work out fine. It was in a part of town that wasn't the nicest part of town. It was also in the part of town that was adjacent to a racetrack in Baltimore that was hosting the Moonrise Music Festival. Did you know what the, do you know what the Moonrise? That sounds bad, doesn't it? It is, just so you know. <laughs> On that Saturday and Sunday of last weekend, uh, uh, I called them the Lost Boys. They descended 
on this hotel. The hotel was full of 18 to 25-year-olds, all of them drinking heavily as they prepared to go to this techno music festival that was lasting all night just a few miles away. So uh, I'm in this hotel. It's not a nice hotel to start with. The beds are horrible. We can't sleep. I'm sick, and the Lost Boys are outside my door. Are, are you with me? It's not going well. Finally, the end came. Has anybody gotten to the end of your vacation? You're like, this has got to stop. Has anybody ever been there? The end came last Monday. Went to the airport uh, and got on our first plane. It was fine. Uh, and, and, and then the second plane was flying out of Charlotte. And the, and, and, the, and the voice, you're sitting there in the gate. Voice comes over the speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to tell you that, that this plane will not be flying out of Charlotte tonight. We've had mechanical uh, difficulties. Your, your other gate. This, by the way, after us running, because we were delayed in Baltimore, running at a full sprint uh, you know, from our gate to catch this flight. Right? It's, it's still sick. So now it's delayed. Call our kids. We're going to be a little late. Uh, first hour goes by, delayed another hour. Next hour goes by, delayed another hour and a half. We were supposed to land around 9, 9.30 on Monday night. We got in at like 12 or 1. It was brutal. Right? Finally drive home. <laughs> During the week, I had asked, we're, we're building a house, we're still finishing off a house, and so I'm, I'm, I'm paving uh, my driveway with concrete millings. It's like chopped up concrete that you can get uh, pretty much on the cheap and for you know, the, the interim, it's a good surface to have for your... So, so I asked for a couple loads, truck loads of these concrete millings. They're very heavy. So you want them to be put in a place where you can just spread them and you don't have to move them because they're, it's concrete. It's very heavy. Where did the dump trucks decide to dump? 75 yards from where I asked them to. There are two... As I drive into my house at 1 in the morning, there are two huge piles of concrete millings that uh, Friday, uh, Cooper and I started moving with a wheelbarrow. No bueno. Is everybody with me on that? Not fun in the Florida heat to move concrete millings. Uh, so I had, okay, who's been there? Anybody been there? Who's got that story about a vacation, that story about a, a, a business trip or something like that? Everything was going great, and then the bottom came out. Now, can we all say that those are just minor irritations like am i like in a life or death situation because the millings are 75 yards from my house did i did i die from my flu no it was it was an irritation it was like a little pothole on the road anybody ever hit a pothole you're oh so much to fix that pothole but your car didn't like fall apart yeah life has those potholes those irritations uh and, and and we can make it through those but I've, just, just speaking of potholes, I've driven in, in eastern Africa on some roads. Uh, they'll have flash flooding in eastern Africa. Uh, they don't have a, a huge infrastructure that goes out and fixes roads. So if, if a pothole is allowed to go, it will soon become a gorge of pavement. There'll be pavement here. Pavement, and like after a fresh rain, everything is washed out. We're talking like if your van goes into that, it's not coming out. And in life... There are those moments, too, not just minor irritations. We're talking the gorges of life, the tough things that when, when you come up to them, you're like, how are we getting over this? Maybe someone that you love goes to be with the Lord, and you've got to learn to do life without them for the first time. Maybe a marriage that you've been a part of for years just runs into some rocky grounds, and, and if it isn't ending in divorce, it's looking like it's going to. Maybe the job you always thought you'd have is taken from you. 
and you've got four weeks to find the next one. These things happen in the world that we live in. Is it true? If they haven't happened to you yet, I don't mean to be a party pooper, there's a gorge coming somewhere. Are you with me? You know why? Genesis chapter 3. Man decided to sin, and when sin came into the world, it just messed everything up. Read your Bibles. It talks about, in the Bible, all over the place, about how this world is crooked. It needs straightening. This world's broken. It needs fixing. Jesus talked about it himself. He says in, in, in uh, John chapter 16, 33, he's, he's talking to his disciples about his, his inevitable end, and he's, he's trying to encourage them. And, and he says this phrase. He says, in this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say there's a possibility you know, around 45 years old, there could be some bad days. No, he just says it's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot. The gorges are coming. As we go to this text that we're studying today, we're talking about Peter. He's in prison. And uh, in the history of the church, things had gotten rough. In Acts chapter 7, a guy named Stephen was killed for his faith. He was the first martyr in the church. And from there, a guy named Saul starts to persecute the church. He's, he, goes on, he goes on persecution trips. Eventually, he finds faith in Jesus, becomes a part of our story, but, but there are others like him where, where the persecution in that early uh, first church is, is, is just prevalent. Now, there's, there's some bright spots. Philip and uh, uh, Peter and, and, and John, they, they go to Samaria, and some, some Samaritans find Jesus. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about how Peter uh, was there in Samaria, and, and, and he, he got to go to, the Decap, uh, to, go to the, what's now modern-day uh, Tel Aviv and uh, but he got, to, he got to heal a guy who was lame, and lots of people trusted Jesus because of that. And then, then he got to go and heal a, a lady who was dead. Her name was Tabitha. And raised her from the dead. And lots of people, listen, there was pockets of greatness in the midst of this, this persecution. But here in chapter 12, we're, we're going to kind of say goodbye to Peter in the book of Acts. This is one of the last accounts that we have of him. But it is just a dreadful, dreadful story. Remember, in this world you will have trouble. Let's look at the trouble of the early church. It says this. About that time, well, about the time of this story being told, uh, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, who's read about Herod before? Anybody read about Herod the king in the Bible? Uh, just so you know, when you're reading about Herod, in the Gospels or here in the book of Luke, there's four of them. Herod's like the last name of, of, of these kings who were a dynasty over Palestine at the time. Herod the Great, he was the first guy probably the most famous guy. He built Masada. Anybody heard that, seen the movie back in the 70s? Okay. Herod the Great, uh, he was a paranoid, paranoid man. He actually killed uh, members of his own family and his wife because he thought that they were conspiring against him to take his throne. And so Herod the Great's the first guy that we see in the story of Jesus. Uh, he comes at Christmas time, remember? Herod was that Herod who met with the wise men when he found out that this, you know, this king had been born. What did he order? The death of all the children uh, who were born. And, and that was Herod the Great. Well, Herod the Great had many sons, killed a bunch of them. But one of his sons, Herod Antipas, everybody say Antipas. Uh, Antipas became uh, the ruler after Herod the Great, and he's the Herod who got uh, John the Baptist beheaded, if you remember that story. So that was, that was son of Herod the Great. Grandson of Herod the Great is who we're talking about here. He's not the son of Herod Antipas. Uh, one of Herod's sons, Herod the Great's sons that he killed, was a guy named Aristobulus, and he begat this guy Agrippa. And so when it came time for the next Herod to hit the throne, uh, uh, they skipped uh, Antipas' kids and they brought in nephew Agrippa. And that's who we see here in this text. There's another one later in the book of Acts, but we're not there yet. We'll talk about him when we get to him. Herod Agrippa is this king. And here's what all the Herods had in common. Every one of the Herods 
was a total keister kisser. You know what I'm talking about? All they wanted was people to like them. They were politicians. They wanted everybody to like them, and so they went out of their way to make sure that the majority was with them. And the majority here was the Jews, so that's why Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, who did he get first? Look at what it says in verse 2. It says he killed James, the brother of John. And he killed him with the sword. Now, this isn't James, the guy who wrote the book James in your Bible. That's the brother of Jesus. We're going to hear, he's actually going to be in the text that we're going to read a little bit later on. This is James and John. They were called the sons of thunder in the list of the disciples in Mark chapter 3. James and John's. Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, they're one of the, some of the only disciples to get like their own moniker, right? And, and the only, we don't know a whole lot about them. James and John were the guys who were asking for the chairs next to Jesus when they get to the kingdom. Remember that? Their mom came and asked on their behalf. But James and John are also the guys in Luke chapter 9 who when Jesus was going to Samaria and, and the Samaritans in that account said, you know, don't bother Jesus. We don't want you to come here. James and John were the guys who came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, do you want us to pray fire down from heaven on the Samaritans? One of my favorite stories in the scripture. James and John were like, you will not uh, deny our master. And if you do, booyah! And we're going to blow you up. I don't know. That's, just, uh, that's where booyah started, right there. <laughs> James and John. Sons of Thunder, though. Here's the deal. They, they, they like Peter. Peter had kind of a short temper, uh, short fuse. Apparently, James and John, they, they were the same kind of guys. I, I picture them as kind of like UFC fighters, like maybe, well, you know, WWE world champion uh, tag team, right? The Sons of Thunder. Isn't that perfect, right? And... and and, and, and they're in this, so, so they're like the bad guys. They're the, they're the bad men who are in the disciples, right? Don't mess with James and John. I mean, Peter's a hothead, but don't mess with the sons of thunder. So who does Herod pick from the apostles? He picks one of the sons of thunder. There's a mockery of a trial. And apparently they, they took a sword and they either cut James's head off, or they ran it through him. And it, when, you, when you read about uh, the capital punishment in Scripture, uh, certain capital punishments were put for certain sins, certain grievances. So if you were put to the sword, you were either a murderer or an apostate. An apostate is someone who basically speaks against the, against the faith of the government, either against Caesar or against some religion that he endorses. And so these Christians were essentially guilty on both accounts. Uh, defying Caesar and the Jewish faith. So James, the son of thunder, Jimmy Thunder, uh, he gives his life for the cause of Christ. Uh, this is a dark moment. Stephen was a deacon. He, he was fairly high up in the church, but they hadn't lost, since Judas, they hadn't lost one of the 12. And now Herod had made it his mission. Look what happens next. When he saw that it pleased the Jews uh, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Well, if you like Jimmy Thunder going down, let's just go right to the top. We'll get the rock himself, another wrestler. He proceeded, I, I just thought that, I, it, it fell out of my head, I'm sorry. <laughs> he proceeded to arrest uh, Peter also. And he arrested him at a time when, when the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going on. Now there's there's three major feasts in the Jewish faith, and this is one of them, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was, a, it was a time that was immediately following Passover. Passover kicked it off, Passover being the celebration of, of the last plague in Egypt when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and set loose to go look for the Promised Land. Uh, but then 
immediately following that, they celebrated their exodus from Egypt. And, and they, they called it the Feast of Unleavened Bread because all the Jews would just eat unleavened bread, crackers, essentially, uh, for a whole week because that was all they could, re- you know, they could carry with them as they were leaving Egypt. It was a, it was a, a, a feast of remembrance of God's deliverance for them from Egypt uh, and to the promised land. Well, during, that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but during that feast time, or any feast time, uh, the Romans had figured out, hey, let's not do anything political or any. We have to let them observe their religious, uh, uh, you know, feasts, and then after that, we can continue with government business. So basically what's happened is that Peter is taken into custody, but because Unleavened Bread is, is going on, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is happening, they, they can't do anything until that feast is over. Verse 4, uh, when he seized him, it says that he put him in prison and he delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, and intending after the Passover, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which Passover includes, to bring him out to the people, have a trial, and then run him through just like he did James. Now, how, how many squads of soldiers? How many soldiers per squad? Uh, back then, if you were guarding a prisoner, uh, you would either have one or two guys at the door. But here's the deal. Uh, Herod was a quick study. He'd read the book of Acts. Not really. Hadn't been written yet. But he had heard what had happened with this guy Pete in prison before. In Acts chapter 4, Pete and the disciples, uh, they heal a guy coming into town. He says, Peter says this, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Get up and walk. And this dude, if you remember I preached it last summer, he gets up and he just starts pogoing all over the place. Never stops because he's had 40 years without legs. He's going to get his time back in. Are you with me? And so uh, the Sanhedrin sees this. All the people are amazed. They don't want to lose control of the people, so they arrest Peter and his friends. Remember, they had a trial. They take him in, and they say, you've got us quit preaching about this carpenter from Nazareth. We killed him. He's gone. And his friend, Peter and his friends looked at him and said, hey, man, Sanhedrin, I hear you, but we don't answer to you. God runs us, and God has told us to preach this message. So you do your worst, but we're going to do what God has called us to do. Well, the Sanhedrin was so befuddled, nobody in that culture would ever stand up to them that they were just like, well, I guess we let them go. This is a warning. Don't preach again. But they let him go. So how long did it take the disciples to preach again? No time at all. So you go to the next chapter, chapter 5. Guess how chapter 5 starts? They were preaching. Sanhedrin arrested them. Now they're really mad. We told you not to. They threw him in prison. They called everybody in. The Sanhedrin was this governing board. They called everybody in for the big trial of these disciples in chapter 5 of Acts. And as everybody was gathering that morning, they called for these prisoners. But guess what had happened the night before? The night before, as these guys were sitting in their cells... God miraculously opened the door and the dudes walked out. When they were leaving, the Holy Spirit says to them, hey, through a messenger, hey, make sure you're here tomorrow morning preaching in the temple courts. This is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. Here comes the Sanhedrin, all ready for their big trial. We're going to take these guys and teach them a lesson. And they say, bring us the prisoners. And the prison guards go to get the prisoners. They're not there. Sorry, sir. Park's closed. Moose outside, should have told you. That's a movie. Anyway. <coughs> Just at that same time, a messenger, a, a servant of the Sanhedrin comes in from another door. I mean, this is, this is like too good. It's too good for TV. He comes in from another door and he says, hey, I found them. And the Sanhedrin's like, where are they? They're in the temple courts next door. And they're preaching the same gospel that got them into prison. Those guys, right? <laughs> Sanhedrin goes out. Now they're, now they're just murderous. They're going to kill these guys. 
and, and this guy named Gamaliel, I'm spending too much time on this, but I love the stories too much. This guy Gamaliel is one of the wisest guys in all of Israel, and he gets them all together and he says, hey, fellas, the people love these guys, and they did. The early church, they were just, everybody in Jerusalem, people were coming by the thousands to salvation in Christ. They put their faith in this carpenter from Nazareth, and so they're like, you guys, we can't, it would be suicide for us to do anything to harm these dudes. You've got to let them go. There will come a time. We'll get them. But right now, it's not that time. So they let them go again. Twice Peter's busted out of jail. Well, that time that Gamaliel was speaking of, it's here. But just to be sure, you know what Herod's saying? Double up the guards. In fact, what would normally be like an eight or ten hour cycle we're going to bring in four squads of soldiers. During the day, they're going to go four hours apiece. During the night, they're going to go three hours apiece. We're going to have two guys be, you know, with Peter between them. We're going to put handcuffs on either side. We're going to put, instead of one guard at the door, we're going to put two guards at the door. See if he can get out of that. And the church is watching all this take place. And they're starting to feel like this is a gorge. This isn't some minor irritation in a time where we are fabulously popular in our culture. Nobody likes us. Nobody's going to come to our rescue. Pete's got four guards on him. All is lost. You been there? You've been sandwiched between a couple guards, two at the door, no hope. Uh, I'm glad that the Bible does, or the book of Acts doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, maybe we're not sitting here. I'm glad that Peter and these early Christians uh, saw what seemed to be a hopeless situation as just one more opportunity for God to fulfill what Jesus said in that verse that I quoted to you earlier. In this world you have trouble. You know what the rest of that verse says? But take heart. Jesus says this to his followers. Take heart. For I have overcome the world. Yeah, you're going to come to some gorges. But guess who can build bridges? Yeah, you're going to find yourself in prison. But guess who's got the keys? You're going to be drowning in whatever the hurts are of your life. But guess who's got that big circle floaty? Jesus. He's our Redeemer. Everybody understands Redeemer. Some people think Redeemer is just salvation. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. And if you're unfamiliar with the Christian faith, here's what we believe. We're all sinners, hopefully lost in our sin. We can't fix it ourselves. Someone has to fix it for us. It's God's son, Jesus. He dies on a cross. He dies for the sins that we should die for. And so he becomes our stand-in, takes our punishment. We look to him in faith. We receive him in faith, and he redeems us, takes us from death to life, from darkness to light. He, he makes everything new. And a lot of people think redemption is just a salvation thing. No, Christians, look at me. Redemption is a daily thing. Salvation is happening to you uh, constantly, not in terms of your spiritual life and death you know, being transformed into a follower of Jesus Christ, but sal- Jesus is our Savior all the time. And he comes to these impossible situations, and he says what Paul tells us later, all things are possible. I got you. I'm more than a conqueror. I got you. What I want to spend my time in in the next uh, few minutes is us answering this question. When trouble comes, how from this text can we understand 
that we're supposed to overcome the world. If Jesus is our overcomer, if he is, if, if we're supposed to take heart because he's going to overcome the world, how, when we come, come up to the edge of our gorges, how do we overcome them? Well, you, you might be surprised to know that we don't do a whole lot. <laughs> but, but we surrender to God as he does for us in these situations. Three things. A fourth if we have time. No guarantees. When trouble comes, how do we overcome the world? The first thing we do, everybody say it with me. Pray, 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 pray. Now, I could have just said one pray there, but here's what happens in churches when the pastor says pray. Everybody's like, got it, done, blah. Go on to something else. Give me something practical. Because, of course, we're supposed to pray. The church tells you all the time, pray. That's why I wrote it five times. I want you to go beyond your normal discipline of prayer. What's our normal prayer? Here, let's pray. Uh, all the food came. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. Pass the potatoes, right? Uh, our kids are going to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What kind of prayer are you teaching your kids? How can a kid go to sleep with any confidence having prayed that prayer? <laughs> this guy's coming back with a pillow. This is not going to work out. You know where that prayer comes from. It was the rote prayer of children in Europe during the Black Plague. When they were literally afraid of dying before they woke. But good enough for them 600 years ago, good for us now. Right? I mean, off we go. And we, listen, I'm not, if you teach your kids to pray that way, I'm not saying it's sin, but I'm saying that prayer goes beyond the memorized stuff. And, and here's what I know about prayer. I don't understand it. I'm not going to pretend I do. Because I believe that God is a sovereign God and his ways are unchanging. But here's what the Bible teaches us about prayer. That prayer changes things. That prayer, the the Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous man, the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. And what what that lets me know, even though I am Calvinist, even though I believe in the sovereignty of God and his steadfastness, is that God somehow hears the prayers of his, his loved ones, his children, and he responds in the same way. Remember what Jesus said? Listen, if you ask your father for bread, is he going to give you a stone? God's not some cruel, you know, uh, heartless father in heaven. He loves you. Now, does he give you everything you want all the time that you want it? No. Is everybody glad for that? Because if everybody in here asked God for a million dollars, our currency would be devalued to the point that's worth nothing. I mean... Rattle that around your brains for a while. Of course God doesn't give us all that we want because if everybody got what they want, this world would go... But he loves us and he hears our prayers. Jesus talked about it all the time in parables. He he told this parable once about this woman uh, who was in the town and she was was being unjustly treated so she went to a judge in the town over and over and over. I mean, picture her like yanking on his robe and just asking him for justice and finally the judge, I mean, it seems like a weird parable of the judge... You know, always in the parable, there's a, a character who's God, and there's a character who's us. And the judge is God, and, and God in this parable turns to the woman and says, Fine, fine, you know, okay. But Jesus says, That's how you pray. Pester God. Keep asking, keep believing. Pray, 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 pray. Listen, the only power in the hands of the powerless is prayer. The only thing we got when we come to the edge of the gorge, we've exhausted all. Because here's what happens, right? Here comes the gorge. 
I'm going to fix it. Like me and my home, you've heard me talk about my home repair issues, right? I got YouTube, I can handle this, right? No, there are many things that are beyond me. And I should enlist the powers of people uh, who are better at these things than me. When it comes to our gorges, we, we don't try to fix them ourselves. We don't try to jump them ourselves. We, well, we do, and it doesn't work. And here's what happens. I'm going to try everything that I need to do, and I'll get back to you later, Jesus. We'll talk, but not yet. And here's what I'm telling you. I mean, first thing, first, you get the diagnosis, hit your knees. Uh, he says he's leaving, hit your knees. It's your first option. It's your first action. Not your last. Pray big. Pray big prayers. Pray humble prayers. Ask God for exactly what you want, but don't see God as some kind of cosmic candy machine that I put my prayer quarters in and I yank the knob and I get what I want. That's not how it works. I'm not a blab it and grab it guy. If you are, there's probably a church that will teach you that somewhere, but not here. Okay? God is not at our disposal. We're at his. Okay? But don't let that keep you from praying the big prayers. A lot of times I pray big prayers, and in my head I've already, you know, forecast how this is going to work out. So I'm praying prayers of obedience, Lord, heal this person, but I figure he's not going to get better. Isn't that horrible? Your pastor just admitted that he's a man of little faith. But you probably are too. In some things, you know, you can pray in faith in certain areas, but, but then in some areas, you know, you, you got this pretty figured out, and you forget to pray big prayers, or you pray big prayers and you don't really mean them. I'm telling you, listen, I'm learning this. Pray the big prayers, mean them, but then pray humble prayers. Pray what Jesus prayed. Remember what Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified? He's in the garden. He's like, Father in heaven, if you could pass this cup for me, if, you, if we could do this some other way, that'd be great. But not my will be done. You, you do what you're going to do. That's a humble prayer. Hey, God, I'm praying, for, I'm praying for the moon. I'm going for it. But I am, <laughs> I am smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough. And if I'm not going to have the best plan for my life and your plan is different, then you say no to this prayer immediately. Your will be done, not mine. I've got to get to the next things. I could just hammer prayer all day. But if you haven't heard anything else, I say when, when, when you get to the edge of the gorge, hit your knees. The only power that the powerless have is prayer to an almighty God. The second thing is rest. Oh, I didn't read the verse. Should I read the verse? Here's what, let me, so, so Peter was, uh, was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made uh, to God by the church. That's what the church did first. You want to see what Peter did? He rested. That's the second thing. Pray, 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 pray. Rest. Rest. I, I'd never noticed this reading this story. I've read it tons of times. I had a, a kid's Christian coloring book with this story, and it was one of the first stories I remember from Scripture. Uh, but I, I always miss this part. Look what it says. Now, now, when Herod was about to bring him out, it's the day before Peter's about to die. Feast of Unleavened Bread's going to end. Peter's going to get the sword the next day. Now, when he was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was, say it with me. Excuse me? He's sleeping. Yeah, he was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, sentries at the door, guarding the prison, locked down, no hope, uh, he's about to die, and his best plan is, well, I better get some shut-eye. <laughs> I want to be fresh for my execution. 
He's sleeping. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you moms out there, when your kids aren't right and things aren't right in your house, sleep doesn't happen? Stress ruins it, right? Just lay there with your head on the pillow, stare at the ceiling, think about all the worst-case scenarios, and then morning comes. You know what that comes from. It comes from this insidious little hidden belief in you that you can somehow shape outcomes. If I worry enough, if I think enough, I can come up with something, and then I can figure out how to fix this. That's what your worrying is. But how blessed is it? What kind of grace is it for us to get to the lips of our gorge and just be like, well, I can't do this. Nap time. It was interesting. I was talking with Fred Stubbs, one of our elders, and he was telling me there was a story on Fox News the other night. that They did a study on people who pray. People who pray are less, are less stressed. It's like been scientifically proven that if you pray more, you stress less. And, and can we all agree that it's pretty important when you get to the, the troubled times of life for you to stay calm. I was at the 9-11 Museum. It was uh, uh, a fascinating uh, you know, remembrance of that horrible day. Very somber. But as you walk through uh, the last part of that, they give you the, the history, all the pieces, and they, and, they, and they highlight the heroes. And the men and women who are able to uh, affect uh, rescues in, in that day. They were the men and women who, uh, when, when, when everything was burning and, and, and the world was coming down around them, they kept their wits about them. In the midst of incredible, unprecedented chaos, they were able to stay calm. That, that's not a, a spiritual metaphor. It's not a, a, well, for maybe some of them it was, but, but, uh, but, but it, it goes to show us that in the midst of our chaos, our first thing is prayer. Our second thing is relax. Stay calm. You're going to make your best decisions if you stay calm. And here, here, just so you know, the, remember I talked about the irritations? Those are, those are practice. Th- those are your, your, your training grounds for the gorges that are to come. So let me just, you know, let's back up from the gorge a little bit, and let's go to some of the irritations. If you, if you are a fly-off-the-handle person when the slightest irritation comes, if you're the person who is steamed at the dumb driver in front of you all morning at work because of the, you know, the jack wagon move that they pulled on the highway, okay, th- then you need to learn from Peter. Peter's about to die, and he's catching a few winks. All right? If you can learn in these minor irritations of life, to give those over to God, guess what God's going to do? He's going to build up in you perseverance and strength so that when the gorge does come, your default is rest. We were in the midst of not being able to fly home on Monday night, and our kids came to the airport at the uh, appointed time, and her son actually, Cooper, had to fly on another flight, so they picked Cooper up, and I said, listen, just go grab something to eat or something like that, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll be there when we get there. And, and I don't know all the details, but uh, during this excursion away from the airport as they were waiting for our flight to arrive, my son, uh, Ben, who was driving our car, uh, took our car down to the side of one of these stanchions that was in the parking garage or somewhere and scraped up the hubcap. When I called him and asked him for a ride, I asked him to drive his own car, but he has all of college in his car right now. So you know what I'm talking about? So I said, okay, just drive ours. And and lo and behold, uh, you know, there's another 
indicator on my car that one of my children has driven it. Are you with me? <laughs> now, to be fair, and I don't know if you're here, Ben, but to be fair, I have not always handled these kinds of things well. Uh, not, not at all. Because, uh, you know, I don't understand uh, how these things occur. Accidents happen, and I get mine, I just don't get yours, right? And so I've, I have gotten angry in, in, in certain times when, when, you know, things have happened. I was driving with my daughter, Kai, the other day, and we were coming down our road, just talking. She was driving because she picked me up, and she had the car. And so and, and she, we went past our mailbox, and our, she was so close to our mailbox that, the, that the, the, the mirror on the side of our passenger side, she hit our mailbox with that mirror. Bam! Just slammed up against the window. And, like, and she's still talking. Just beep, you know. And so I asked her, I said, did you hear that? She's like, oh yeah. I'm like, is that normal? Are you, are you like aiming? I mean, what's happening? I'm like, honey, that's what, you have to be careful when you drive our cars. There are things out there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right? So Ben runs his car down this, this stanchion, and he, he actually has some time because we're delayed, so he goes to one of his buddies. Uh, gr- his dad owns a garage in town, and he, he tries to buff it all out, and it's not coming out. And so then he calls his mom, and there's been all kinds of stress in his life because he's used to his dad losing his stuff. So he calls his mom. Good play. <coughs> but he doesn't realize that he's talking to his mom on the phone, and I'm sitting right next to her. Like, the phone's here. Heard it all. Dad's going to kill me. I took the car down the side of the thing. I don't know what happened. I tried to buff it out. Blah, 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 blah. Ah! Right? <laughs> and Eleanor turned, you know, she's just looking at me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she just, she turns to me and says, hey, he, he, he messed the car up again. And here's what happened. Again, yeah. <laughs> In the midst of what was a, a, a flu-ridden, uh, long, arduous, disappointing day. By the grace of God, not because of Mark, but by the grace of God, I was like, eh, it's a car. Here's what I figured out. It's a car. Hey, you know, Mr. Mechanic, who's got the tarp over that thing in your garage and no one's allowed to touch it, lighten up, Francis. It's a car. <laughs> it's a car. So much of life is, is that. It's a car. It's, it's this. It's that. It's not a big deal. Calm down. Learn to stay calm in the, me- the little messes of life because a big one's coming. And if you're not ready to be calm in the midst of that, to pray and to stay calm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to roll you over. But if you can pray and stay calm, and then this last thing, if you can follow God's path to freedom, then that's what leads to our, rec- our rescue every time. Don't follow your own path. Follow God's. Here's what happened. We've got to read it fast. Stay with me. He's sleeping between two cards, verse 7, and behold, which in behold is all like, check, that's what this means in, in the Greek, check this out. An angel of the Lord stood next to him, a light shining in the cell, angels glow. So here in this dark cell, here comes an angel, a messenger of God. Uh, we believe in angels. There's other texts I could teach about them, but we believe that they're real. And we don't always see them, but in this particular instance, this angel from God shows up in the cell, and he's, he's got his double A's in, and he's shining. 
He's not, but this is how restful Peter is. Uh, you and I, when we're stressed out, can, can the least noise wake us up from asleep? Yeah. So Peter's like, dude, whatever, God's got me. The light doesn't wake him up. So this word struck here, it sounds kind of harsh. It's, it's the same word that you, would, you and I would use when we're trying to wake up a teenager. Turn the lights on, nothing. Hey, it's time for school, nothing. Hey, it's time for school, nothing. Yank them out of bed. <laughs> what, what, what? That's the extent that this angel had to go to. He had to kick Peter to wake him up. How about that for calm in a storm, right? I think Jesus was in an actual storm with his disciples, and they had a hard time waking him up once. Remember that one? So he strikes Peter on the side to wake him up, and he says he's sitting. He starts giving instructions. Pete, Pete, get up, quick. First miracle, angel shows up. Second miracle, handcuffs fall off. No keys. Pretty cool. Verse 8. And the angel says to him, second instruction, get dressed. We're leaving. Dress yourself. Don't forget your sandals. Peter puts them on the wrong feet. He's kind of sleepy. <laughs> he did so. And, he, and then the angel said to him a third thing. Hey, don't forget your jacket. Wrap your cloak around you. And let's go. We're getting out of here. He always had a tunic and then an outer cloak. And Peter had both. So he had taken them both off to sleep. And so tunic on. Oh, yeah, that's right, cloak. Here we go. And off they went. He went out and he followed him. That's a huge verse, a huge part of this story. Because, listen, you, you and I have the choice, <laughs> even after praying, even after staying calm, when, when Jesus gives us this path, this way to get out, you and I have a choice of whether or not we're going to follow. And here's what happens way too often in my life. I don't know about you, but way too often in my life, I say, Jesus, come, deliver me, but do it this way. I'll know that you're delivering me when I have not just enough in my bank account, but a surplus. I'll know that you're delivering me if you make my spouse come to me and ask for forgiveness. Huh? Deliver me, but do it the way I want. And Peter could have, you know, stayed asleep, been like, no thanks. I'll wait for someone else. No, he just gets up. Angel of the Lord comes, follows. He didn't know what was going on even. Uh, he, he didn't know that the angel was real. He, he thought that he was seeing a vision. Hadn't had his coffee yet. It goes on and it says this. When they had passed the, uh, the first and the second guard, they came to this big iron gate. The, the gates of the city were, were all closed at night uh, and it was led into the city. And if he was going to get back to the, the other disciples, he was going to have to pass through it. So it says there uh, that the gate opened for them of its own accord, the first automatic doors in history. And they went out and they went along one street and they got to a certain point in the journey and then uh, well, the angel was done. Peter was emancipated. He was free. Work here is done. I'm out. And look what it says in verse 11. It was then that Peter came to himself and he said, now I am sure, this isn't a dream, now I know that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish peer people were expecting. I'm a free guy. I'm a free man. How did he gain his freedom? People prayed for him. I'm sure Peter prayed for himself. He rested. No worries. I'm going to die tomorrow. Better get my sleep. God's got me. If I'm going to live, it's going to be because he does it. If I'm going to die, like his friend Paul later on in life, for me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain. 
win-win. I'm going to catch a nap. And then when the angel comes, when, when God's plan is made manifest, Pete's like, oh, sandals, yeah, tunic, right, follow you, here we go, yeah. And he finds himself on the other side of the gorge. Are you with me? Oh, may you and I learn this. 46 years old, still getting this pounded into my head. You know what it did? It kept me from uh, challenging us as a church to do Rise Up. Us being in debt was a crisis for our church. It was holding us back in lots of ways. And I prayed, God, get us out of debt. But get us out of debt this way. I can't go to our people and talk to them about debt. Who's going to give the debt? People who weren't even here to incur it, why are they going to give? It's going to have to be this way, God. But then finally, many trials, many little storms, by the grace of God, Jesus got me over myself, and our leadership decided, well, we're just going to take it to the people, see what God does. $250,000 left to go, right? Now celebrate that, but then come and kick your pastor because it took him way too long to, to spring the trigger. Are you with me on that? You know why? Because I'm still learning this. You are too. But figure it out with me. In this world, you will have trouble. If it hasn't come, if you're not in it, it's on its way. But take heart. Your Savior is not just your Savior from sin. He's your Savior from life. And he can deliver you from your storm. Pray. Pray, 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 pray. Rest. And then follow as he leads. It's the way out of every storm. And by the grace of God, we'll weather him. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Lead us to these truths, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to have you all. God bless you as you go. Get yourself a life group. If you need some prayer, come and get it. Otherwise, blessings.